You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full and Thriving podcast. I'm so happy that you are all listening today. And as always, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to hear all of this recovery content. Honestly, if you are filling your brain with recovery content, it is absolutely a really positive step towards recovery because something you hear on this podcast or another podcast can change the way you approach your own recovery or even think about recovery. I know that I've been a huge podcast fan my entire life. Well, it feels like my entire life, but at least my adult life for a long time. And sometimes podcasts can really just put you in the best mood or shift something in your brain so that you change your behavior, right? or feel inspired to take action or do something differently. So I, again, just want to say thank you guys for choosing this podcast as one to help you through life and recovery. So anyway, before I dive into this episode today, which will be outlining six steps to changing your eating disorder behaviors, I wanted to share a little life update with you. First of all, as you guys know, I am currently living at my parents' home this summer. It is a huge life transition for me as my lease in Denver ended in May. I ended a relationship. I put everything I have in storage. I spent at least the majority of the summer so far traveling, and I am now settling into a normal daily routine and getting into a work groove. And honestly, I feel very emotionally balanced and stabilized, no longer having this breakup in my face as it was a few months back. So I'm starting to feel a lot better and I'm feeling really focused. One thing I started doing, which I wanted to share with all of you, is getting into Pinterest and using Pinterest as a tool to manifest my dream life, but not just manifest, but actually just get really clear on the type of life I want. Because I feel like this phase in my life is a chance for me to choose again and start fresh. So as you know, I'm considering where I want to live, the lifestyle I want. And with Pinterest, I'm kind of looking into the sort of home I want to create, the office space I want to create, my career, my future relationship, whenever that happens. And yeah, it's been so fun. I will get a cup of coffee with some 
hazelnut creamer in there. And usually I'll have breakfast first with my mom. She always loves to say good morning to me. So I'll have breakfast with her. Then I'll bring my coffee downstairs, snuggle up on the couch and do 15 to 20 minutes of this Pinterest visioning. And it's been so relaxing. It's been a nice way to transition into the day, help me feel inspired, you know, sip some coffee while I do it. And then sometimes I will journal as if I've already achieved the things on my Pinterest vision boards. So I'm writing about this future relationship I have and how this future husband will be treating me and where we're living and what our home is like. And I get really into it. And it's kind of just like playing imagination, which is funny, but I'm having a ball. So you guys are looking for something to add to your morning routine. Absolutely do this, do the Pinterest thing, the manifesting with your journal. And then I'll actually listen to some positive affirmations. I'm really setting myself up for just a great day. And I have a podcast episode, a few episodes back with Merit Elizabeth, another coach, and we talk about morning routines. So the main point of that episode was to say, don't make your routines super rigid, make them more intuitive and simple. So if this sounds overwhelming to you, trust me, it's very fun and simple for me. So pick something that works best for you. Anyway, wow. What a way to start the podcast. Like I said, today we're going to be outlining six steps to change your eating disorder behaviors. So let's just dive right in. First of all, in recovery, there are two categories of behaviors. There are overt behaviors and recovery sabotaging behaviors. Overt behaviors are the glaring red flags that point to the reality that you have an eating disorder. So these overt behaviors include, but are not limited to, skipping meals, binge eating, binging and purging, just purging, over-exercise, using laxatives, and restriction. This might not be an exact list, but these are the ones I've written down. Sabotaging behaviors are less obvious You know, they're not those overt behaviors, but they also contribute to the perpetuation of your eating disorder. So these are often behaviors that are prescribed by diet culture that the eating disorder likes to really sink its claws into and turn into something really obsessive and unhealthy. So this includes something like counting calories, reading food labels, measuring and weighing food, chewing and spitting food. That could also be overt to some of these could be on either list engaging in food rituals like only eating on small dishes comparing your body to others body checking and also something like following toxic instagram accounts so i want you to take a moment and reflect on your overt and recovery sabotaging behaviors and think about how everything i'm about to share can relate to you potentially changing one or a few of these behaviors. So when I start working with someone, we typically start working to minimize and eventually eliminate the overt behaviors first. Depending on the sabotaging behavior, 
we might be able to tackle one or two of those simultaneously. It really depends on the person. For instance, you can work on stopping your overt behavior of over-exercise and excessive exercise while working to eliminate calorie counting at the same time. Anyway, to start, I recommend getting super clear on the behaviors you are doing to keep yourself stuck. The purpose of letting go of these behaviors is to help you become unstuck and become free. And once you are behavior free, it's a lot easier to break free completely from all of the mental stuff too. And I'm speaking from my specific experience here. So I recommend writing down all of your behaviors and get really honest with yourself here. There can be a lot of shame around eating disorder behaviors, and that can make it difficult to admit to yourself what's actually happening. Maybe you've never verbalized this or externalized this behavior before. So no matter what shame you're experiencing, you might actually be hiding this from yourself or avoiding the truth of what's happening. But challenge yourself to be honest and write all of your behaviors down and take a good look at the reality of the situation. Now that you have a list of behaviors you can start tackling throughout your recovery, my first step is to pick a behavior you want to challenge yourself with this week. And to start changing this behavior, I recommend that you first journal all the reasons why you want to stop this specific behavior. For instance, say that you want to stop skipping meals and you're writing down your list of why. Skipping meals might make you lie to your friends and family or might be causing you to sneak around people in your household or your friends or even avoid social events. All of these might be reasons why you want to start changing this behavior. Other reasons why you might want to stop skipping meals is because you have really low energy day to day and perhaps you're noticing that your hair is thinning. Maybe you've even fainted a few times and the potential of fainting randomly really scares you and makes you worry about your health. Maybe it's because you hate denying yourself food and obsessing over it every time you're hungry. This step is truly important because I want you to see how crappy this behavior actually is. Yes, this behavior might be helpful to your eating disorder and your eating disorder might want to keep this behavior around, but do this exercise from the perspective of your healthy, practical self. There are truly so many negatives to eating disorder behaviors, and I want you to feel into how much this behavior sucks and is negatively impacting your life. Perhaps you'll look at this list and realize that the cost is not worth whatever outcome you're hoping to receive. All right, after you've created your list of why you want to stop this specific behavior, I recommend that you gather information about the behavior. So this is step two. 
Where, when, and with whom does this behavior occur? Why do you do this? What typically triggers you into turning to this behavior? Of course, it's kind of like an investigative, observational step. I recommend you look at a recent incident when you use this behavior and walk through the play-by-play. What triggered it? How did it start? What happened leading up to it? What happened during? And then maybe hours after or the next day, like really stretch it out. And if you want to focus on the actual incident, maybe the incident only happened within a matter of minutes. But when you go over it in your mind, try to stretch out time to find every little detail. Become super aware of what is going on when you engage in this behavior, especially if this behavior is automated and you feel like you don't have control. The more awareness you bring to this behavior, the more chances you'll have to kind of intercept and bring awareness in the moment and pause and potentially stop yourself from engaging in the behavior. So there's so much you can learn by doing this. It's also important to ask yourself, what was my eating disorder saying to me moment to moment, if anything? So from start to finish, what was I hearing? What thoughts were going through my head? Did someone say something to me that really upset me? And as a result, what emotions was I experiencing? So step two, again, gathering that information about the behavior and getting very clear on what's happening. You can even, while you're thinking back to a previous incident, pretend to be a fly on the wall and watch yourself from afar in that memory and see how are you moving around the room? Are you being really antsy? Are you crying? Like, Try to remove yourself from the situation if you need to and observe from afar. You can also gain a lot of information that way. All right, so step three to changing your eating disorder behaviors. Step three is track your behaviors for a week. And I really challenge you to track and write down the instances with the notes app on your phone. So just pause and write it down when it happens or go through the end of the day and write down when you notice yourself doing these behavior. And this will help you build more awareness, first of all. But remember, the point of tracking is not also to change the behavior that week. Just give yourself the week to observe what is naturally happening. And maybe you will decrease the behavior naturally just by building awareness and having the intention to track the behavior. But really, the purpose of tracking is still to observe and learn about yourself and when, where, and with whom you are doing this. You might be shocked to notice how often you are engaging in this behavior, and it might motivate you. Maybe you're spending hours a day engaging in this behavior. And if that's the case, Maybe you never were truly aware of that. So tracking can be super helpful. Okay, so step four. After a week, take everything you've noticed and observed about this behavior and discuss it in detail with your therapist, coach, or dietitian. 
they might be able to help you find specific ways you can break changing this behavior into small baby steps. So they're going to help you break it down. Baby steps could look like, I will delete this tracking app on my phone for a week, or maybe that's too hard. Maybe it might just be over the weekend. Or a baby step could look like, I will buy more snacks to keep in the house so I don't restrict as much between meals, right? Or it could be, I will give my scale to my therapist so I don't obsess over numbers so much. Whatever your goal is, find that baby step, whatever that behavior is. You don't always have to stop cold turkey or go from zero to 100. That can really cause burnout. Uh, The baby step method is really helpful and gradual so you can continue to build tolerance and strength as you go and even courage and motivation as you go. So remember, no changes have to be cold turkey or zero to 100. Like you should not be jumping from purging every single day, multiple times a day to none. I mean, if you can do that, that is amazing. But remember that might not happen. And I know our perfectionist brains want us to be recovered overnight. We want to just move through it. We have a level of urgency and impatience. But remember, patience to make these change changes will really help you prevent burnout. So anyway, I went on a little tangent there. But remember, baby steps will be super helpful. Step five, after you've defined your ways to change your behavior this week, I want you to write a list of helpful coping skills that you can turn to instead of using the behaviors. So essentially, you're leaning on these coping skills to put the eating disorder out of a job. So remember here that coping skills will not feel as, quote, rewarding or, quote, maybe thrilling or exciting as the eating disorder behaviors might feel. The purpose of a coping skill is to make managing the emotions you're experiencing a bit easier to move through. So you still have to feel the emotions. Coping skills are just there to help the emotions feel more tolerable. And so if you're looking for a magic coping skill that helps you avoid your emotions, that is not a healthy coping skill. So examples of coping skills are things like maybe doodling, knitting, journaling, breath work, and of course, maybe calling a friend or reaching out for help. And remember that coping skills require trial and error. And sometimes a coping skill will work for you and sometimes it might not be so helpful. So you really need a toolbox of multiple coping skills that you can turn to and pick. And it's like you can start picking the ones that feel the most appropriate for that point in time. It's really a skill that require self-awareness, right? They don't always magically work. And it's important to really seek to discover the ones that work for you. And I highly recommend practicing using coping skills when you are not extremely stressed out already. Start integrating coping skills into your life when you have low-level stress and anxiety, or even when you're stress-free, but just get in the habit and practice of turning to these things. And I really want to stress out here that you can keep your 
coping skills really basic, like the ones you hear in all the self-help books and mental health books, or you can get really quirky and specific with your coping skill. It's really up to you, and nobody is going to know better than you which healthy coping skill will work. So putting that out there. Okay, so remember, those coping skills are meant to be utilized. So in the moment when you decide not to use the behavior, you turn to the coping skill instead to cope with the discomfort and the emotions that might be coming up because you didn't use the behavior. All right, so the next step, and this is the sixth and final step, is observe the difference How did you feel when you made the change? If you can notice positive changes right away, lean on that. Really embrace the positive. Really get clear on the way changing your behaviors made you feel and celebrate that. Sometimes you don't feel positive right away, but if you do, definitely take note of that and embrace the fact that your healthy self and your higher self is being honored. That in itself should be a reason to feel good. I know that when I started changing my eating disorder behaviors, I did feel pretty good immediately, even though it was uncomfortable not to turn to the behavior. A few moments after that, I felt really proud of myself. I felt really accomplished. I felt hopeful that I would break free from this eating disorder. So really notice the difference and feel the positive feelings if they are there. However, it's not always a positive experience, so I do want to make sure I acknowledge this. Sometimes changing a behavior can feel really difficult and scary, so please know that it does take patience and a level of tolerance for the discomfort you might be experiencing. However, over time, the loss of the behavior will start to feel better, and you do have to trust that, and it might take longer than you expect. And if you are having trouble feeling the positives when it comes to changing a behavior, this would be a great moment for you to reach out to your coach or maybe a recovery buddy, and let them know that you did this big thing, and then they will celebrate for you. And that's always super valuable, especially if you don't feel worthy enough or proud of yourself at all. Maybe you're not completely aligned with your recovery. You're not really sure that you want this in the first place. Being able to reach out to someone on your team or someone you trust and giving them permission to celebrate it with you, that will help you step into those positive feelings. Okay, friends, so there you have it. But before I let you go, I want you to remember that throughout this process, it is important to keep connecting with your why for recovery, right? And think about the big picture you want for your life. Think about honoring your future self. When you're tempted to use a behavior, ask yourself if this aligns with your values as a human and the future you desire. I really encourage you to ask yourself in the moment, does taking this action align with my healthy self? 
Does it align with my recovery goals? Does using this behavior honor my future self? And every time you take a moment to ask yourself this, you will increase your chances of not using the behavior because the answer is no. Using a behavior does not align with your healthy self. It does not honor your future self at all. Your future self wants to break free from this eating disorder and live a life that is lighthearted, meaningful, fun, full of joy, full of food freedom. So every time you use a behavior, you're stopping yourself from reaching that goal. And remember that if recovery was possible for me and the people you see online who are also recovered, recovery is possible for you. Another gentle reminder here, behavior change is also quite messy. It's not typical to stop a behavior cold turkey or go from zero to 100 like I said. So the hope is that you decrease the use of the behavior over time and eventually eliminate it altogether. When I went through recovery, just challenging myself to not purge once was a huge turning point for me. It gave me so much strength to keep going. And my biggest wish for you is that you can change your behaviors as well and truly set yourself free. So with that, I hope you all have a beautiful day and I will catch you next time. Thank you so much for being here.